is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. And this is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hi, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial DeSoto. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Today, we are so incredibly honored to have Brad Parsons, which is the CEO and administrator of Baptist Memorial Healthcare's flagship entity, Baptist Memorial Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Brad has previously served as the administrator and CEO of NEA Baptist Memorial Hospital, NEA Baptist Clinic, and Baptist Memorial Hospital Union City. He began his career with Baptist as an assistant administrator at Baptist Memorial Hospital Golden Triangle in 2008. Brad holds a bachelor's degree from Birmingham Southern College and a master's degree in hospital administration and business administration from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Welcome, Brad. Hey, thanks, you guys. Excited to be here. Brad, it, 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 yeah, we're, we're glad you're here as well. We've, you know, over the past several podcasts, we've had some really, really interesting people from outside our organization, but, but I'm always excited to have have people from within Baptist. We, we've had Dr. DePriest and we've had Mr. Little and, and, and I'm excited to be here because, you know, as, as somebody who's fairly new in, in my journey for uh, with continuous improvement, you, you've been at this for a long time. And through the years when we were hearing things about PDSA, A3 thinking, uh, Kaizen, continuous improvement, it was all this stuff that was going on at NEA. And we knew something special was going on at NEA that, that really wasn't, hadn't taken hold in, in the rest of the uh, system. And I know that you were there when all this began. And I, I've always wanted to hear how, how did this start? And, and, and how did this come to be? Because, you know, what started out at NEA is, is now I mean, we, we have a whole Baptist management system, which is uh, which has been birthed out of that. And I, I would just be really interested in in hearing about its beginnings. Yeah, thanks, Mason. Uh, I, I was honored to uh, to be at NEA Baptist for eight years, and it was a couple different jobs um, because of how NEA Baptist really grew and changed. And so when I got there, we were building um, a new replacement hospital. And I got there in 2012 as the CEO of, of the hospital. And so we were already kind of planning to migrate to this new, big new building. And really the plans to almost triple in size, uh, which we ended up doing during the eight years I was there. So, um, but I, back in 2012, when I got, in, got to NEA Baptist, I quickly saw that um, I had to think about management differently. And, and that, that thought for me personally, in my professional journey coincided with a couple things that were happening at the system level. Dr. DePriest had just convened a small group of leaders uh, that I was privileged to be on to kind of evaluate Baptist and where we wanted to go from a, a performance improvement and really a quality journey. So we, we uh, explored things like um, the Shingo Institute, we explored the Baldridge criteria, and we explored a couple others. Those were the main two. And um, so for me, it was a great uh, convergence of 
getting to kind of see some models out there that could really help us and then starting in a new job where I quickly learned that it was going to be a requirement for me to think about the work differently. And some of that was some of my frustrations that I had seen in in the healthcare administration work I had done in, in Baptist to that point, but also before Baptist. And so at this point in my career back in 2012, I, you know, I'm about eight years in uh, doing administration work, and I was exhausted, and, and maybe y'all can commiserate with me a little bit on this, but I was exhausted seeing, like, great accomplishments and then the next month falling back down. And, and that yo-yo effect over time, I just – I was – uh, you know, adamant that there had to be a different way to do it. And so I was, I was really privileged to be part of this group that was, ended up being a model uh, site or a model hospital for our system with regard to a lean management system. Now, you've heard Skip say, I mean, we very intentionally from the outset didn't use the word lean a lot. Uh, we mm -hmm. used the term management system, and I think that that really has paid some dividends for us. But it was it had its roots there. Now, one other piece that I, I would I would be remiss if I didn't uh, talk about my friend Skip, uh, but at, we also converged at that same time. And I remember meeting Skip. We hit it off very early on, and we've had a lot of uh, a great dialogue. And and like he says, we we like to we like to really debate issues, and we like to get in there and talk about things that work and won't work. We were able to do a lot of that through the years at NEA, um, and so I, I got to meet Skip about that time. Skip, isn't that right? Back in 2012, 2013, something like that. So all those converged for me, which really started the, the outset of that journey at NEA Baptist. That, that's great to hear, Brad, and I kind of have a follow-up question along those lines. I mean, we've done a lot on this podcast of talking about many different aspects of the Baptist management system, many different aspects of continuous improvement. And there really are multiple different tools and multiple different kind of pockets of, of things you can do in the space. And my question really is, where, where did you start? Did you start with trying to implement TWI? Did you start with looking at standard work? Did you look at, you know, all these other aspects that you could implement? Where, where do you start when you're, you're saying, I want to build you know, continuous improvement at your organization? Yeah, so the, the great question. There's a couple couple ways we could answer that question. One is, how, where did we start? And we started with TWI and job instruction. Um, and I think that's still a good place to start. You can still defend that. Um, I, I'll answer it a different way, is where do I think you should start today? I think you got to start with an anchor system. And you got to start with a place that is going to create connections for departments, for individuals on why and what they're working on and, and how we're going to do it and why that work is important. And so for, for me and for us, uh, the anchor system is strategy deployment. And, and you have to have clear strategies and you have to be able to relate the work and decide strategy deployment is not always what you're going to do, but really what you're going to prioritize and therefore what you're going to say no to. Uh, you've got to have an anchor system that you can connect back to. And so through the years, I mean, I, I've learned and I, and I love the connections that we make with regard to all the tools in the Baptist management system, but they all come back to strategic work that we have to accomplish, strategic work that we decide we must do these things, and let's use the right tools and systems to help us accomplish those goals. 
That makes a lot of sense. So you just recently moved to Memphis from from NEA. And so that's where you started. You started really with that uh, strategic thinking, that A3 work in the beginning as your anchor system. Can you talk a little bit about how that has gone since you've been there? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's a great time to start a new job, right, on the outset of a pandemic. Uh, so I had the privilege of starting uh, at Baptist Memphis in, um, in May, and so a few months into COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, it's been a whirlwind to say the least, but I, I'm really proud of this team. Clearly, we got some uh, just an incredible team, incredible leaders at Memphis. And we set out this summer uh, to say we, we've got to start working on the strategies that are going to get us into the future. And so um, the team the team all said that they had done A3s before, and, and now we, we have a running joke that they had done A3s, but not quite like we do A3s now. Um, but we, we did a lot of repetition, a lot of practice, trying to make sure that our thinking was clear on the strategies that we knew we had to do. Um, just like you see it at some of at your shop, Dr. Mason, in, in New Albany and now in DeSoto. But, you know, we have the right care, right time, right place, right cost. And we work really on defining those elements that we want to start on. And so one of the other learnings is we've, we've kind of parsed out right care. Uh, we've got a quality component, we've got an engagement component, um, and, and sometimes several other things. For us right now in Memphis, it's um, retention and recruitment, uh, and we've got that house kind of under the engagement A3. And so we really talked about the key elements that we needed to have in Memphis, and we started working on those plans. And we did that through the summer, and we were able to launch um, really before the new year started, which I was really proud of. It was kind of one of those milestone markers for us. And uh, we meet right now to build that muscle to practice. We meet every week to go over our strategic plans and our tactical plans to check and adjust where we are and what we need to do as a next step on our journey. But Brad, uh, you've used the word launch several times, and, and I know the uh, origin of that. Uh, and for some folks that may not know, listening to the podcast, our fiscal year starts October 1. So what is the process of launching that you start? When do you start working on these A3s before your fiscal year starts? Yeah, Skip, a couple of things there that I'd like to highlight. I mean, one is the principle of focusing on the process. And so, look, it's a human element, right? Human beings love process. They love repetition. And so we got to find those natural processes in our work. And the fiscal year is an important one for organizations, certainly for our organization. And so how we kind of layer in the work to sync up with all those key processes is really key. And so one of the things that we learned is with a fiscal year that starts in October, the first quarter of the year is really important, but it also coincides with the busiest time of the year or the most breaks in the year. You've got, um, you've got two of the biggest holidays of the year in there and in the south you got something that we all love to talk about we, you got a hunting season in there you got to balance those three things with the first quarter and we talk about trying to get ahead in the year so if you win the first quarter you got a shot at winning the year if you're going to win the first quarter you got to have your game plan ready to roll out you got to have people queued up and ready uh, on october 1 and that means you've got to develop those plans. You've got to back that up. And as an organization, we've done better and better of doing that. But we've got to back that up. And so 
what happens for us is you've got to really start working on your new uh, fiscal year plans in the summer. Uh, you got to start those early in the summer and you've got to refine those through the summer months in preparation for the new fiscal year that starts 10-1. So to your question, we, we really talk about that launch. And one of the things that we did is we had to have clearly for uh, frontline employees and leaders, we had a 90 days to launch. Uh, that's something I started in NEA and something that we really uh, picked up in Memphis. And we, we talked about that with the whole team. Here's what we want to do during June. Here's what we want to do ju during July, during August and September in preparation of that launch in uh, October 1st. That's awesome, uh, Brad. I think, I think Jake and I would both agree that a lot of times in healthcare, when it comes to um, rolling out new processes and things like that, that, that the biggest obstacles <laughs> are the providers, us, the, the physicians. And, and tell me a little bit about how, you know, NEA has a closed system. How, how did you engage the physicians there to, to buy into this? and some of the strategies that you used and, and have those same strategies, are they applicable to Memphis where we have a, where you have a, a more of an open, an, an open medical staff? Yeah, no, uh, thanks HF. It's, um, it's something I'm passionate about because I, I love healthcare. I'm drawn to healthcare because we get to work with the smartest people around. I, I really believe that. And um, it's not uh, ex exclusive to our doctors, but they're certainly some of the smartest individuals I've ever worked with. And I, I love when I get to be just a, a peripheral part of physicians talking about the clinical care and the specificity with which they have to tackle that patient need and, and that clinical care. So I, I really like to start from a position of, um, and it's the things that we talk about that are true for all of us, but it's, it's respectful communication. Um, you know, it's being respectful that the real experts are the people that are doing the work every day, that have trained for years to do what they do. Um, now, it's my job to try to create this system whereby they see that something needs to change in what they're doing. That's not always easy, and that's not, I don't take that for granted, but I do think going back to the anchor system, sometimes if you'll sit down and talk to physicians about what needs to happen in the OR uh, and what needs to happen on the floors, it's the same stuff. Um, there's, not huge, there's not huge variation or disagreement about the fact that we need to, um, we need to start on time. Uh, we gotta do X number of cases in a day. Um, we need to be efficient in what happens after the patient leaves the OR. So, I mean, there's some, there's, real, there's some consensus that can happen if and when we create space enough to uh, have those respectful communication with our, with our stakeholders. And, and guys, I've been doing healthcare administration now for 18 years, and I just know that, I mean, you can't do anything without our physicians. You, you can't do it without them. Um, and so and it's, it's a fool's errand to think you can. So in, in respecting the job that they do in the care of our patients each and every day, we got to hear from them. We got to sit down and listen to what they need. And we got to be able to say and, uh, and work on kind of where are we today and where we would really like to be. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because that's a performance in, improvement uh, loop that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. The other reason I love working with physicians is because they were trained that way, right? 
plan, do, study, and adjust is how, how physicians are trained by nature. And so I, I have learned to really try to tap into that and say, hey, we, we might not solve it all today, but let's, let's get on a course to where we can solve it in the future and by working together. And I, and I think, I hope, I hope that doesn't come off as Pollyanna because I, I, think that's, I think that's real world stuff and I think it really, I think it, it makes a difference. No, I think it's just, that's just good common sense. So you've mentioned, you know, quite a few times, we've, we've talked a lot about A3s and A3 thinking, and, and you've mentioned that's kind of your strategic anchor. Uh, but I don't think we've ever defined what an A3 is on this podcast. And I will admit that when I first heard the term, I nodded like I knew what I was uh, talking about and then went and Googled it afterwards. And then you mentioned that when you arrived in Memphis, you arrived at Memphis, everybody acted like they knew how to do an A3 and you found out they didn't. So can we just talk about what a good A3 is, what it's used for, and uh, and what, and also just maybe comment on what some of the misconceptions that you saw at Memphis were when it came to using A3s? That's a great question. Yeah, so I, I think the A3 is, is just a tool that you use uh, really to set out the work that you want to accomplish. And so... I think the first thing that we always talk about in the A3, and and we've got a great we've got great tools that we can use and resources that we use at Baptist that, you know, it was on my desk and I could easily pull it out. But A3 is is really a way to say, uh, over a course of a time, unless you choose a year, because that's t- typically how we work. What is a goal that you want to accomplish? Uh, and if it's a goal, that means that there's a target uh, that you that you're not that is not where you are, and you, you currently are at a different spot. So there's a gap that that creates. And the A3, you've got to have a gap, and then uh, and that's the top left box. Um, the next thing that's really important is to reflect on why you are where you are. And reflection can be good and bad, and I, I really harp on reflection because I think it's Im- imperative that we spend time reflecting on how do we get here even if we want to be somewhere else, why are we where we are today? And then the, on the left side, you say, then what do I think are the things that are going to help me close that gap? And they're just hypotheses. What do I think we need to do to close the gap? Um, and so the left side's got to be really good, and it's got to be uh, well thought out, and it's got to be checked against the people that are going to actually use this stuff. So it can't be done in a boardroom. It has to be checked with the people doing the work. And then on the right side of the A3 is, is really then, if, if these are your hypotheses, um, the hypotheses need to be clear, and they need to have clear metrics around how much of the gap you think they will close. But the right side becomes how we're actually going to do it. What is the actual work stream for the year? So, you know, we don't always do a good job of this, but we, we like to front load and put everything into the first couple weeks. But the right side gives us the ability to say, look, I got a whole year. If I, if I prioritize these things, I know I need to do these things first. We're going to pause each month and see what we're getting. Are we learning the right things? And then after those things occur, I think I can do these other things. And so the right side kind of helps us lay it out. And lastly, you've, you've got a very important box on the, on the right side, which is how do we check and adjust? How are you going to make sure that you're following up on that? And strategy deployment gives us a, uh, a good overview, a good context by which to do that. So, Skip, I went through that quickly, but w- what would you add to that? The only thing I would add to that is, you know, it's, it's an 11 by 17 sheet of paper, and there's different types of A3s. So 
And the actual sheet of paper is called the A3. That's the, exactly. So the A3. That's what I learned by Google. Yes. So the 11 by 17 sheet of paper, if you go over to Europe, they'll refer to it as an A3, you know, and there's different types of A3s, but this one that we're talking about is a strategic or tactical A3. And, and uh, myself and Pascal Dennis, one of our previous guests, uh, we created a little cheat sheet, a little tool. Uh, most people refer to it as the green document that uh, people use to understand the thinking that goes inside of each box. But I think the other thing that I want to compliment Brad on is that the A3 is really a skill, just like, um, oh, I don't know, like any skill, maybe whether it be playing a musical instrument or you know, or I know you ran a marathon recently, uh, Dr. Lancaster, or whether it be swinging a baseball bat. I mean, over time, you get better and better at that skill, and there are little pieces of it. Uh, you start to see improvement. So from someone that's observed Brad using the A3 for the last, we'll say, six years, it's completely different watching him observe it and use it today than it was even two years ago. You know, or six years ago, uh, it's because he's refining his thinking. Uh, if you're, for example, what do I mean by refining your thinking? One of the mistakes you'll see often in Baptist is people will have the left side really unclear and kind of mushy, and it's not real good. And the right side, they have this detailed plan of everything they want to do. And if you remember, Pascal said in the previous episode was they've already made the determination of what they want to do, and they're now trying to back into it and say, okay, what gap is it we're trying to fill with all this? In other words, and so uh, there, is, there really is a, uh, a science to it. And the last comment I'll make is the 11 by 17 sheet of paper puts a creative constraint upon you that you have to... You have to think about, uh, for example, the hypothesis section that Brad talked about. I have to literally think about what are the hypotheses that I believe if we do this, then this will occur. And I'll even ask the person I'm coaching, so what percentage of the gap will that shut? And so that gives you some ideas about what, what an A3 is. And and I know that I've been guilty, uh, and I'm, I am by no means an expert on A3s at all, but it seems like that sometimes we think that getting the A3 done is that that that's the objective where it's actually the thinking and the planning uh, during the creation of the A3. That's where actually the magic happens. And, 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 you know, we all think that we have to have this A3 that's perfect and it looks great. And I mean, I remember, a while back when we had Dr. Ur Lisa Urian from uh, the Cleveland Clinic, I, I, I read an article uh, that she had written, and she had a picture of her first A3 that she had written, and it was handwritten in pencil, and you could tell where there were eraser marks, and it had been folded up, and it, it was, you know, it, it's not the, it's the journey. I mean, it's the journey, not not the actual destination. Does that make sense? Is that kind of, is, does that sound accurate? Yeah, well said. I mean, one thing that I would add there is is something that we harp on a lot, and I think it really fits HF with what you're saying. 
um, you know, we we were trained. I was certainly trained to to be an implementer. I was trained to like make a recommendation and say I'm going to go implement these things. And and what I've learned through my personal journey is that we really need a heavy dose of experimentation, not implementation. We can have an idea of where we want to go, but it's 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 disrespectful to a lot of people doing a lot of work for me to say that's where we're going and that's how we're going to get there. Now, as a CEO of this organization, my job is to say, I think we need to go over there. But then it's everybody to bring to have sustainability, we have to do it with our people in order to get there. And so the A3 allows us to do a lot of experiments in order to get to a mutual goal. And I think that that's why the, the culture and how we do the work is so important. I mean, the culture of how uh, really in that experimentation mindset is actually very freeing to me personally to be able to say, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but I know that I work with a lot of smart people that together we can get there. Well, mm -hmm. and, and to build on that, yesterday we interviewed a, uh, a real legend, Dr. Edgar Schein and his son, Peter, and he talked about that healthcare is not just a complex system, but it's a complex social technical system. And so here's an example of the A3 and knowing how to construct it and the thinking is really the technical side of it. But the social side of it, uh, I'm gonna kind of pitch it your way, Brad, is really the catch ball process in a lot of our JR. In other words, if Brad was to work on the A3 all by himself in an office, he's not gonna get the same uh, well thought out uh, plan that he would that he if he includes the social. Am I saying that good, Brad? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of my favorite things about this work and what it allows, and the A3 is a document that allows for it inside that catch ball is great ideas coming from a lot of different angles. And you've all been in a project or even some improvement work where you had a real breakthrough and somebody really made a connection and somebody really you accomplished something that you didn't think was possible. Those, the magic, like you said, HF, there's some magic in that that, that garners engagement, that garners uh, participation. And when we talk about, we spend a lot of time talking about employee engagement and physician engagement, and I think this system, this process that we're talking about, garners a fair amount of it just in, in, in doing this well. That's a good point. You mentioned earlier that uh, strategy is what you say no to. And you know, you're CEO of, of a large hospital. There are many, many, many different competing priorities. We, we had our quality meeting this morning and there's 100 different quality metrics that need to be examined and tried to improve upon. How do you prioritize uh, work to work on? You can't, you can't boil the ocean and fix everything all at once. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy and it's never easy. Um, I think that we, and, and quite frankly, there's a lot of stuff that we have to do in healthcare that we have to keep an eye on, that we have to report out. Um, but to me, that's become different than what we really want to engage in and what we're really trying to change or improve. And so uh, creating that priority is, is really the series of, uh, right, building off the conversation we've been having is that series of catch ball conversations with key stakeholders 
that we do through the summer. And really what, what happens is the, the priorities kind of bubble to the top. And, and they say, look, if this is the gap that we got to close and we know these things impact the gap, we really think we can make some headway here. And, uh, and so you start immediately from uh, having the team bought in. And very importantly, you start by having the team bought in to say, this is my portion of the gap. This is the stuff that I have to do that we have to close. And so uh, it, it usually does. I mean, and sometimes we still have more priorities than we can actually get done. But any, any exercise of refining our priority list is clarifying work. It's work to simplify what we really have to accomplish and therefore I think really beneficial. So not a, not a perfect science in, in answering your question even, but I think um, by including people and, and really working through uh, how you're going to close the gap, I think that those priorities bubble up. One more question, and, and um, this may not be real easy to answer, but, you know, we have A3s, and as Skip said, we had different types types of A3s. We have strategic A3s and we have tactical A3s. And, and, and there's another tool that we use in the Baptist management system, and that's Kata. And, you know, you, you see Kata boards. And one of the things that, that I've always had trouble understanding is, is at what level do you switch from an A3 to a Kata board? Does that, does that make sense? Is that a, is that a fair question? That's a great question. First of all, I, I would tell you that um, you know we had so much success with Kata that um, then we wanted everything to become a Kata, and and I think that that kind of happened around the system, and I think that's okay. That's encouraging, but not everything needs a Kata board. Uh, I think that's important to to say. Um, not everything is perfect for Kata, a Kata board. But let me also say that Kata, to me, has become the thinking pattern that we've been talking about. Mm. Uh, that thinking pattern is happening behind the scenes in almost everything that I'm doing. In every A3 that we have, we're going through that iterative process of where are we today, where do we want to be, we're running an experiment, what happened, what did we expect would happen, what's that gap? And how do we learn from that? How do we learn to what our next steps are based on what we just did? Uh, so that informed thinking pattern is is really what we do on the A3 itself. Um, and so I, the way we think about it is, you got strategic A3s for the organization, and even you know at the system level, we got system A3s now. We got then we got facility A3s. Um, and, and then we have, in Memphis, we've got a whole series of tactical A3s and, and probably more than we, uh, we need more than we have today. So we're working already on development of additional tactical A3s. I think the Kata boards still have, they, they have a lot of application, but when you get to specific departmental needs, is a great place to have a Kata board and that, that, um, that practice that's intentionally done on a on a pattern to make sure that you're committed to kind of saying what is the issue and how can we close this gap so uh, one of the things that we're doing right now is experimenting with care teams at memphis and how we can in a pandemic period where we don't have enough resource how we can create a care team to care for patients better uh, have higher nurse satisfaction and, and possibly even have a different ratio for how we do that. 
And so that's a great example of a kata board in a in a specific item that needs kind of that iterative thinking pattern that that kata provides. That's a good answer. Well, Brad, I am uh, so incredibly thankful that you came on and we could actually talk for much longer. So I'm hoping that you maybe you'll come back on the episode uh, again. Uh, I know that uh, you have uh, you're one of the founding uh, BMS ambassadors. That's a that's an angle we could talk on. I know you're incredibly passionate about TWI job relations and uh, Dr. Lancaster is going to go through my class next week. So I'm looking forward to and being exposed to that. But uh, I'm so incredibly thankful for you, thank, thankful for your leadership, and uh, really grateful that you came on the podcast, and hopefully you'll come back soon again. Hey, thanks, Kit. Let me say one other thing. Listen, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. Jake and HF, y'all are really good on the podcast. It's been a pleasure for me just to participate. But y'all's your questions and, and really your inquiry about performance improvement is is inspiring and I appreciate y'all doing it. So, uh, hey, I'm I'll, I'll, I'm glad to come back anytime. I can't believe our time's already up. Oh yeah, we'll have you back. Th thanks a lot, Brad. I really appreciate it, Brad. It's been a, a lot of fun, and and glad to talk to another uh, UAB Blazer. Absolutely, go well, have you back. Awesome.